You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life, with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 66th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. In this episode, I interview a friend and choice theory colleague about being a choice theory leader in a drug and alcohol inpatient rehab facility. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave me a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at the Relationship Center on Instagram or Facebook. I've known Marsha for 15 years and have always been impressed with her ability to run programs with a 24-hour staff and a challenging client population using the leadership model developed by William Glasser, who based his model on the earlier total quality management work of W. Edwards Deming. Marsha is a counselor who's been a manager of two halfway house programs and, as mentioned, currently manages a drug and alcohol inpatient rehab facility. She's been in the field over 20 years, and I'm really thrilled to be able to interview her. Marsha, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. So I know I'm doing a series on leadership, and I wanted you to be a part of that because for as long as I've known you, which has been at least 15 years, You've been in a leadership position in the field of drug and alcohol, and it is uniquely different, I think, when you're managing staff who are also managing a community. You're not just managing workers. There's a lot more to it than that. So it seems to me like you have a lot of balls in the air at any given time. And I wonder if we could start with your epiphany in training because- Oh, okay. I remember after that, you went back to your facility and you tore up the rule book. And I just, I, thought, sure I just thought it might be interesting to our listeners to hear about that. So would you tell that story? Sure. Yeah. Well, I was in training with you and we were learning choice theory and reality therapy, and we were talking about consequences and natural consequences to the choices that you make. And I remember sitting there thinking that, you know, we have individuals in our facility who exhibit a lot of behaviors that they need to take a look at for being potentially antisocial, illegal, irresponsible, ineffective, the list goes on and on and on, but we have rules and our rules were pretty strict and we would give consequences, punishment, dare I say, for their behaviors. But I realized in the middle of my choice theory training that we were punishing people and consequently through a ripple effect, their families and loved ones for the exact behaviors we were trying to help them change. So we really weren't, we were creating the behaviors more so than we would be helping somebody to make changes in thinking or behavior, because really the more we would punish, the more they would react or act out against what we were doing. So it wasn't helping anybody and it was frustrating them and it was frustrating us and it was impeding their ability to move forward in their recovery and it was burning us out and it was a lose-lose for everybody. What I remember, and I know memories are a funny thing, so I may not be remembering it right, but I remember you saying to me, what I realized is that we had these crazy rules that people couldn't follow. We set up unrealistic expectations and then we would punish them when they didn't match our expectations. Yes, exactly. And, 
And consequently, as I remember, it was something about you were going to give a client blackout, which meant no communication with the outside world. And that mom had a two-year-old that she had just gotten back and she was building rapport with this two-year-old again and didn't want to miss the nightly phone call. And you let her have that phone call, as I recall. Yes, actually, the the child was five and the individual was really close to having herself asked to leave the program because of her behaviors. And this was like a last ditch effort. So we were like, we're going to put you on blackout. We're going to put you on behavioral contract. We're bottom lining this. That's it. You got to stop it. And she was in my office hysterical having an absolute emotional meltdown because of the fact that she was working on trying to build this relationship with her five-year-old who she had just gotten back into her life. And she's saying to me in her emotional state that she keeps disappearing out of the child's life and her five-year-old is not going to understand blackout. And what is she going to do? Is she going to call home and say, I can't talk to her for five days and then the, or 10 days or however many days and then the child's not going to understand and think mommy abandoned me again. And I really thought about that and I thought, well, okay, so that's not going to work because I can't punish a five-year-old for something that their mother's doing or not doing. So that's not very fair and that's not very responsible on my part. So we compromised, we negotiated it. Okay, so you want to have this nightly call with your daughter so that you can build that rapport and not disappear out of her life again, which is important to your recovery and important to the relationship building in your life. But these behaviors can't continue because you're affecting the treatment and recovery of everybody else and you're having a really negative impact on the environment itself. So what can we do to help you to do this? We can do the phone calls every night, but what are you going to do in return? What's going to be different? And she was actually able to lay out what she was willing to do to be able to stay in the program, to continue to work her program and to have contact with her daughter. And she successfully completed the program. That's huge. And that is really the bottom line. It wasn't her taking advantage or trying to manipulate It really was a genuine human connection and request that you were able to hear for what it was and honor. And I think that that really is an example of good lead management. You had a bottom line that you couldn't have crossed. You expressed what that was. You held your line, but you allowed consequences that were not so harsh that it created really inhumane conditions. I remember that story. It stuck in my mind for all these 15 years because I remember thinking that really was such a good example of lead management. And I really did come back from the training and I took my rule book and I walked into a staff meeting and my staff thought I had completely lost my mind. (laughs) And I'm sitting there in the staff meeting talking about choice theory and reality therapy. And they're looking at me like I had three heads and I pulled out the rule book and I just started tearing it into shreds and I threw it up in the air and they're like, okay, Um, (laughs) somebody call somebody, she's lost it. And I said, no, we're going to start from the ground up. We got to rebuild this. We're doing it all wrong. And we did. We, we restarted the whole thing. I mean, the bulk of the treatment program itself was great and it was valuable and it was working, but our rules and the constraints that we put on people and the limitations that we put on a person's ability to test the waters and to challenge their thinking and to experiment with new behaviors that they've not done before, those rules were really hindering people from moving forward. And after we wrote the rule book and started implementing, we didn't call them rules anymore. We call them guidelines. And we had client input in them. It wasn't just me making a book and saying, follow this. And it wasn't my staff saying, you must do this. It was, well, look collaboratively, what makes sense? What can we do? What can't we do? One of the old standards in 12-step early recovery is you don't wear a hat. 
can't wear a hat in the building. And that was always seen as a respect thing. Well, who does it really hurt to wear the hat? Nobody. I mean, you want to wear a hat, wear a hat. Kids today wear hats all the time. What difference does it make if you have a hat on your head? You know, it's not a deal breaker, but in some programs, it was the deal breaker and people would be discharged from treatment because they wore a hat. That kind of stuff was kind of silly to me. You know, when I really thought about it, that's not something that affects a person's life, really. It's, it's, right. it's, it's no impact. Why do we have to do that? You can have respect in other ways. It's not about a hat. So there were little things like that, that we were able to change and to move around. And we changed the consequences to things that were more natural. And sometimes we didn't even need to give a consequence. Like if somebody didn't want to get out of bed in the morning and attend treatment and programming, well, okay, what happens if you don't get out of bed? Well, if you don't get out of bed and, and get downstairs, you missed breakfast and you didn't get your morning medications. You probably missed the morning meeting, which means you didn't get information for the day. And if you missed the 12 step meeting, then you probably didn't hear a message that you might've needed to hear today. And if you don't attend group therapy, well, then you're not getting treatment. And eventually somebody, whether it be a funding source or your probation officer is going to say, well, if you're not going to attend treatment, you can't be there. All natural consequences without you having to impose them. Right. And what we would do then in a counseling session is to point out to somebody and a real effective thing is we would have an attendance log throughout the course of the day of what everybody attended and stuff, because we'd have to write group notes and progress notes and whatnot. So the log helped us to keep on track as to who did what. But at the end of the week, if we had somebody who was chronically not showing up for things, we could actually take it and work out the math and say, well, look, this week you were supposed to attend a hundred things and you attended 10. So you missed 90% of your treatment this week. How does that impact your ability to recover? And when you would put it to them in raw numbers like that, it was a little hard to argue. <laughs> well, um, I guess I just didn't do anything this week. Well, okay, so what can be different next week? What can you do better next week? What is it you want out of next week? Or is this not even working for you? Do you even want this? And kind of put it back to them to self-evaluate what are you doing and why? Awesome. One of the things I'd like to say for our listeners, Glasser named his management program based on choice theory lead management. I don't particularly like that name because if you Google lead management, you find a bunch of sales lead systems for salespeople. It's a little confusing. I like to just call it choice theory management. Why did you choose it? What was it about choice theory management that made you embrace it and say to your staff, we've got to do this? Well, when I started out in the field, I was a counselor and I was a counselor for a lot of years before I became a program director. I was managing my clients. I was managing groups, but I wasn't necessarily managing staff or working within the confines of an organization. So when I took on a leadership role, the person who I replaced handed me a set of keys and said, good luck. And that wow. was my, that was Hello. my ori good luck. That's orientation. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sink or swim. Right. Here's a set of keys. Good luck. I had to kind of figure it out as to where things go. And I was pretty young in my career yet. And, and I was trying to fill myself out and figuring out where I was in terms of a leadership role. I was pretty confident as a counselor and a therapist, but not so much in a management role. So I very quickly early on trying to, I even hate to say it this way, but have control over the situation. I was very much what Glasser would term a boss manager you know, it's my way of the highway. This is what you have to do. I was really authoritative 
I didn't listen to people too much. It was just really more, more my way or the highway kind of a thing. And that wasn't working so well for my staff or I, and it was creating a fair amount of conflict between us. And that, that never really felt good to me because I kind of have a high love and belonging need and I like people to like me. <laughs> so um, I didn't think that my staff liked me very much. And that wasn't a good feel for me. So when I was learning choice theory and reality therapy and lead management, it kind of dawned on me that there's more to being a supervisor, so to speak, or a director than being a boss. So I kind of took a step back. And at that point, the program in the facility was running pretty smoothly. So I didn't have to be so bossy, so to speak. So I was able to step back and really take a look at things. And I took the time to get to know my staff as people, not as employees, not necessarily as friends, but as people. Their likes, their interests, who's their family, do they have a cat, do they have a dog, are they into sports, what? I got to know them as people. And that kind of made things a lot more personal and real for me because then I valued them more. They weren't just workers who I was giving a paycheck to, who I had expectations about. They were people that I liked. And over time, we became a family, a wow. pretty close-knit family. That brought all the things that that kind of close environment would bring, support, caring, a lot of respect, a lot of loyalty. And a lot of my staff and I have been together for 15 plus years, 20 years in some cases. Even still now, we're not in the same location that we were before. We've moved on to another employment and they came with me. So there's something to that. Obviously, I must have been doing something right all these years, or at least something that they valued, that they wanted to maintain. So they followed me. That speaks to me of one word. It really speaks to me of trust. There may be more to it than that, but for them to follow you to another job, it tells me that they have great trust in your leadership. And that says a lot. Yeah, I think it does. It does. You know, if I describe it to myself, staff, some of my staff have gone through choice theory and reality therapy certification, and they've also learned lead management. And that's been helpful because then they're employing it with the clients as well, not just me, them too, but every now and then they'll, we'll talk about, well, where on the continuum of lead management are you? There's, there's laissez-faire on one end and boss manager on the other and lead manager in the middle, where are you? And if I ask them where I am, they're always kind of like, it's hard to pin down. And I said, well, I'll tell you where I'm at on it. I flex. What do you mean you flex? And I said, well, it truly honestly depends who I'm dealing with and what the relationship is with that person. If I have somebody that I have a good rapport with and I've known them for a long time and I trust their abilities and I know what they're about, I may be more on the laissez-faire end of things. If I've got somebody who's not doing a good job or who needs some help or support in things, I may move a little more towards boss, but not heavy-handed boss, but just in more of a coaching kind of a scenario. It's really rare that I come off harsh. <laughs> I can, but it's really rare that I do. So I flex depending on the situation and who I'm dealing with. So it's a lot like situational leadership then. It depends yeah. who you're dealing with. Maybe what you need in that scenario may come into play as well. Certainly if there's a scenario where safety is involved, if there's a situation that something's happening, it's serious and there's some, some risk or safety involved, I'm going to bark in order. Okay. And when I bark in order, everybody does it. <laughs> and that's all there is to that that kind of a situation that's not an everyday conversation. Right. And back to the trust, your staff know that when you do that, there's a good reason and there's no yes. reason to push back or to argue or disobey or anything like that. They know, whoa, this is important. 
let me pay attention here and do what Marcia needs me to do. We can talk about it later. And they will come and talk to me about it later because it's not uncommon for them to question, why did you do what you did? I don't shy away from that. I don't say we're not going to talk about it if that is the way it is. I welcome that dialogue. So if they want to say, well, I don't understand why you did what you did, I'm going to explain why I did what I did. And if they don't agree with my decision, okay, that's fine. I mean, we're both allowed to have our opinions, but I did what I did for this reason and this is why. And I think that's one of the important things is is in order for your staff or your employees to build that trust or to know that they're being heard is you have to be able to explain to them why you're doing what you're doing or why you want them to do what they're doing, that what they're doing has a purpose or that it's useful in some way or it has meaning. It's not just giving instructions and letting them go do it. It's there's a reason why we do what we do. And this is the reason. And it's for the common good. Right. You've talked about using lead management or choice theory leadership in supervision. How do you use it in treatment with drug and alcohol clients? Lots of different ways. (laughs) We do a lot of group therapy for one. So we're managing people in groups. And one-on-one is a completely different ballgame because if you're talking to somebody one-on-one, it's like you're having a conversation. But when you're in a group, you're managing different personalities, you're managing different attitudes, you're managing different behaviors. Not everybody in that group gets along. And in order for group therapy to be effective, you have to build an environment of trust and support and some, some degree of safety. And if the people in the group don't have that, then the group isn't going to be effective. It's kind of a finessing around things, helping people, again, to understand what's the purpose, why are we talking about what we're talking about, how is this helpful, finding common ground, because a lot of times the individuals in the group will think, oh, I'm different or I'm unique or I'm I'm not like you or whatever, helping people to find the common ground to see their similarities more so than their differences. And that while there is diversity in this group, you're all here for the same reason. And that reason is recovery. Whatever got you here might've been different, but you're all here for the same outcome. That's a really good common ground. And it also would be the bottom line that you're controlling for because that is the purpose Mm -hmm. of what you do. Why do you think that it works? I mean, you must think it works. You've been using it 15 plus years. So Mm -hmm. why does it work, do you think? I believe it works for the same reason that the 12 steps of AA and NA work. A whole bunch of people come together and they just talk about their similarities and they support each other and they get through it. And in the end, they stay clean. Why is that? Well, because it's the environment that you're creating in creating an environment where people feel respected, where they feel trusted and valued, where they feel accepted in a lot of ways, that they know that someone's going to listen to them. It's not going to be a contentious environment. It's an opportunity to negotiate when you need to. And in the end, it comes down to the relationships that you build. And I think that's what makes it so effective is the quality of the relationships. I mean, if you have a boss who is constantly riding your back and putting pressure on you for everything, that feels miserable. And then how motivated are you to perform whatever task they're wanting you to do? If you have an environment where you feel comfortable and safe and you know what's expected of you and you know that your boss trusts you to do what you're supposed to do, then you're more likely to do it. I know that's certainly true for me. I don't do well when, pe- when people are trying to make me do something. Yeah. I want to fight back. Don't, Even don't, if it's don't. good for me, it's like, to, don't you tell me what to do. Oh, don't micromanage me. <laughs> That's ugly. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, that um, doesn't go well for anybody. <laughs> so I've heard you mention the word balance a couple of times. I get mm-hmm. the sense that balance is a really important function of choice theory leadership. 
how do you find the balance in middle management? Because that's what you are, middle manager, right? Yeah, basically. Middle management is a weird place to be because you really, like you said in the beginning, you really are juggling a lot of balls all at one time. So when you're thinking in terms of your choice theory, you know, you're thinking of your own needs. When I'm dealing with employees, I'm thinking about my employees' needs. And then, then you've got the needs of the employer or the company. And if you think of it in terms of them being like circles, they kind of overlap so that there's like a sweet spot in the middle where all three of them overlap at one time. That's kind of where the magic happens. And that's where the work gets done. If you can overlap those needs more, the better things go. But that's not always easy because you're trying to make sure that the boss is happy. Then you're trying to make sure that the staff is happy. And then you're trying to make sure that you're happy. And that's a lot to try to juggle and put together at one time. It occurred to me early on that I was putting a whole lot of time and effort and energy in trying to make everybody happy. I wasn't happy. Yeah, that happens. Yes, but neither was anybody else <laughs> because I can't make anybody be happy. <laughs> That's right. You can't. I don't have that ability. It's not possible. All I can do is make sure my needs are met and I can create an environment where other people are able to get their needs met. And if I'm getting my needs met, or at least some of my needs met, and my employees are getting some of their needs met, and we all work together, then the employer is going to get their needs met too. That sounds great. And just one last question about that sweet spot you talked about. Can you give me an example of something that would be in that sweet spot? Are you thinking, because you talked about the common denominator of treatment. Is that something that you find in that sweet spot or is it something else? Yeah, treatment would fit in there too, because things are outcome driven. From an employer's standpoint, they're going to want to see success. They're going to want a large number of individuals successfully completing treatment and remaining sober. And me personally, I would like to see that happen too. And my staff would also like to see that happen too. But we're dealing with individuals who have free choice. So whether we want that doesn't necessarily mean that's what they want. So we're going to actually add an extra piece of that and put the client in there too. So it's the employee's needs, my needs, the employer's needs, and the client's needs at the same time. And we have to kind of come to a middle ground somewhere in there where everything overlaps. And that's a very delicate balance that can be tossed over the edge very quickly. It doesn't take much to upset the apple cart in that respect. But yeah, finding that spot is hard. But when you get there, it's wonderful because a lot of work can get done in there. The clients are getting what they need. The employees feel good about the job that they're doing. I'm happy. <laughs> and I'm happy because everybody else is happy. So that's great. You know, of course, we have a lot of licensing standards and a lot of expectations that we have to meet up to, to be able to stay credentialed and to stay in business and do that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of work on everybody's part. So of course, the company wants you to do well in licensing and maintain your license. I need to have the staff do everything they need to do to meet those standards. And I need to make sure that I'm making sure that we're getting all the standards met. And in the middle, the standards are being met. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> That's terrific. I think that's all the questions that I had for you, Marsha. I just want to know, is there anything you'd like to add, like last words for the audience? I can honestly say if I hadn't learned choice theory, reality therapy, and lead management early on in my career as a person in middle management, I don't know that I would have survived corporate world. <laughs> It's really been beneficial to my own sanity, and I think that it has gone a long way to be the impetus for the success of my facilities, as well as the relationships that I have with my staff. That's terrific. And I also happen to know that you are a trainer of this stuff. So if people want to- I am. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> if people wanted to get a hold of you and maybe pick your brain or get training with you, how could they reach you? If you want me to, I will put that in the show notes. Yeah, I can put my email address in there and that would be good. Okay, we will do that. Thank you so much for being with me. I'm really glad we got a chance to catch up and have this conversation. Thanks, Marcia. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. You just finished listening to an episode on the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing Francesco Benzaki about how he uses choice theory leadership on the ice while leading his hockey teams to be their best. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.